haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'm Josh Carson. I'm the senior pastor at Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis. Want to make sure that you're aware of an incredible event that's going to be taking place September 8th and 9th of this year. It's called Mid-American Revival Conference. Many of you have been here in the past, but we have some exciting new additions to the conference this year. We have great speakers like Jerry Jones, Matt Tuttle, Jason Staple. We have an incredible young voice, Dylan Morgan. But on top of our great general sessions, we will be adding workshops this year. We're going to have a host of opportunities for you, whether you're a volunteer or whether you're the senior pastor, to come in and be fed and ministered to and hopefully equipped for revival here in North America and in your local city. We believe that every member has a role to play. And so we hope you take the time and join us at Mark, September 8th and 9th. Welcome back to the Indiana Bible College podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Reverend Bobby Kilman, our Dean of Biblical Studies, with a Thursday evening session from a previous year. Now, we have brought you a few pieces of content from last year, and we're just excited that soon we will have live content for you from this upcoming school year. We're still getting ready on campus, cleaning up the construction dust, but we're so ready for students to be here, and we're so excited for what God is going to do this year. Now, this session, Reverend Bobby Kilman is speaking on a topic that is controversial to some women in ministry. Now, no matter where you fall on the issue, I hope that you will just give this a shot and allow your mind to be expanded and provoked by what Brother Kilman has to say. He is always articulate, always edifying, and without further ado, Reverend Bobby Kilman speaking on women in ministry. questions. I will tell you, this is one of the most controversial uh, topics in uh, the apostolic world. So uh, why not lead with the most controversial topic tonight? Hallelujah. So our first meeting of the year, might as well make it worth your money. Except we didn't really pay for anything. Hallelujah. All right. So uh, what I want to do is uh, I will just tell you, let me preface this by saying there are good people that I respect on both sides of this issue. I have good friends of mine who I've been in places and we absolutely disagree on this. We, we go to the same organizational meetings. We hold the same fellowship card. They are in fact my brothers and sisters in Christ. I love them very much. I disagree with them very much on this subject, but I love them very much. So I want to talk to you a little bit. Uh, maybe I can preface this with two, two things. I I was sitting in uh, your seats as a Bible college student. This was the old chapel. And uh, I started writing a book. Fortunately for me, I had the foresight to ask my wife to read the first thesis paragraph, Brother Blaze. And I thought I had worked on it, I had distilled it, and I had got it. And I was going to write a book, and literally the, uh, the title was going to be, Don't You Know Your Own History? which was a very terrible book, actually. And my wife read it. She read the first paragraph, and she said, well, if you want them to read the best rest of the book, you better rewrite that. And I was like, really? 
And so I parked that book for seven years and prayed about it. And my wife was right. If I, I'm praying about writing a book, I'm trying to write four. We'll see how that goes. Uh, and I maybe should concentrate on one. Uh, get that one done. Just a little bit first. It might help me. Uh, but I, I'm going, I probably would write a book today titled something like this. Brother Herbst, it's good to see you, sir. Uh, it's, it's not personal. They just love the Bible. All right, and it shows my own uh, trans... Uh, uh, my, well, trans, well, not a transmigration, but so shows my own evolution of this kind of approach to this subject because uh, when, what I was going to say something is was something like this with the very stupid kind of crass book I was going to write the first time is first of all, you don't know biblical history, smack. And then catch them on the back end. By the way, you don't even know the history of our own organization, smack. You know, which was stupid and it wasn't gracious and it wasn't Christian. And so thank God for my wife. Who helped me with that? And, uh, and, and so now, it's, this is where I finally have landed on that issue. There are wonderful people, and we're going to talk about it tonight if we have enough time, uh, that, that have distanced themselves from uh, literally the, the feminist issue of the 1960s. And I think we can look at that sociological phenomenon and understand when we went from a large majority of apostolic women in ministry to now having the average age of the licensed minister. Uh, if you look at all their average, I know Sister Dibble's license, but it's like she's there and it would be the 70s. So why are women waiting to get licensure very, very late in our organizations, the organizations that are in this room? Maybe we'll get to talk about that. I'll end, with, or end the introduction with one more story. Uh, I remember I was doing a lesson on this in young adults. It wasn't a very polished lesson. It was just something I felt passionate to do. I, I did it in our young adult class. I'm wearing my Merc today. Uh, did it in our young adult class, and it was a lot of fun. I've been, I've, they've let the old guy up there. It's awesome. I have a whole lot of fun. And, uh, and, and I taught a lesson on how do you make sense of some of the passages we're going to talk about tonight. When I got done, Sister Katie Collins... Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think I'm doing any damage to share this story, uh, but she had already been overseas as an aimer. She had started two preaching points. She was running multiple Bible studies, a phenomenal, phenomenal woman of God, came to uh, Calvary Christian School, has a master's degree in teaching, a phenomenal lady. She is now back at Calvary Tabernacle, helping us in other areas and doing a great job. Uh, I don't know what her official title is, Brother Herbst. Assistant principal now at our uh, Christian school. And that is a great boon to us, a great gift to us. We have a lady who uh, has a call to preach clearly and a, uh, a background in missions as well as education. That was a phenomenal thing for us to scoop up. But after I got done with that short little lesson, hopefully I will do better tonight, uh, she walked up to me and she said, Brother Kilman, I think I can answer the call of God on my life for the first time without feeling conflicted. Uh, ever in my life. Wow. So that's what I want to try to do. I want to offer some clarity. I, I am going to show you some facts from Scripture, and then I will uh, feel free to spar with me if you hold a, a different position. I, I would love the interchange. And uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a good time because we're going to be Christian. But asking pointing questions is important. So let's start off with, let me, let me disclose to you what I'm going to call uh, very clearly the pattern of Scripture. So what's the pattern of the Bible itself, first of all? Number one, uh, women pray and prophesy in church service. 
When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 16, Paul describes what does it look like, uh, Sister Roselli, for a woman to stand like your sister does over at, uh, at, at Pastor's Church there on Sunnyside Drive. What does that look like for them, for her to stand up with authority and either pray or prophesy? Now remember, prophecy is like, that can be a word of faith, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. It can also be, Paul's very clear in Corinthians, it can be preaching that's underneath the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And that's considered prophecy as well. All right, so you have number one, women praying and prophesying in a church service. Number two, in Romans 16, 1, you have a lady that, that is mentioned there. Her name is Phoebe, and she's called a deacon. Now, now let me give you some uh, same. Uh, let me give you some uh, information about that. So you have a, a women that are deacons. Now, what's fascinating is the form that it appears in the Bible is the same form that it's applied to males. Doesn't mean that, that Phoebe was a, a male. It just means that she was a deacon and that was an office. So in 1 Timothy 3.11, Paul goes on to say, as, as a matter of fact, and, and your women likewise also, when he's the, giving the description of a deacon, he's going to show that women deacons also have to follow this same prescription which is uh, fascinating. And so the Greek, uh, the Greek word for deacon at the church at uh, Sincrea shows that she's operating in a special capacity, and it's only in that in occasion in the Bible where the Greek term is linked with the local church. So it's the first official time we see that title mentioned with the church. Now, we can go all the way back to Acts chapter 6, uh, but we know uh, Brother Marcus right there is the first name that's attached to deacon, the technical term. Now, I'm going to lay out some, I know it's going to be a little technical, it'll be okay. Turn to your neighbor and say, it'll be okay. <laughs> well, the third, the, third, the third point on that would be this, that the use of the masculine form uh, of diakonin uh, suggests that an office was in, uh, in, uh, intended. As a matter of fact, the feminine form of deacon, deaconess is the way we would translate it, didn't even occur till the 4th century. So this is a technical term that can be translated either minister, servant, or deacon, and that's all a title. Uh, of the three non-apostolic individuals that that's uh, applied to, that same term, two are male, Epaphras in Colossians 1.7 and Tychicus in Colossians 4.7, and the other one is clearly female. It's the same term, Romans 16.1, it's the same term for all three. All right, so I'll give you the third category of, of the uh, pattern of women in the epistles. Hey, maybe we could do this. Uh, who, who's a good stenographer? Who, who can be my good record keeper? Who has good penmanship? That's, that's Brother, oh, Brother Gibbs, you want to come and help me? Or do you want, I mean, we can do whatever you want to do. But just write on the board. That way we can kind of keep track of what this is. Okay, so number one, women pray and prophesy in the church. Because what we're looking at, again, is the pattern of Scripture. How many of you are apostolic? Then I hope you're apostolic in your, who you let in your pulpit. All right, and that's pretty pointed, but how many of you want to be apostolic? What we mean is we want to do church the way the apostles did. It's not just a brand, Brother Spencer. It's the way the apostles did it is my prescription, all right? And I can't just be apostolic in my baptism. I have to be apostolic in who I ordain. Okay, and we could talk a lot about that. They prophesy. Number two, <laughs> women are deacons. 
All right, number three. Now, here's fascinating. Roman and for... Yes, women, not women, but women are deacons. Okay, sorry, number three. I'm going to leave it alone. Number three, women are apostles. So the passage is Romans 16, 7. Paul says Junia was identified by Paul as an outstanding apostle. How many of you knew there was a lady apostle in the Bible? How many of you go, this is the first time I've heard this, Brother Kilman? It's okay, right? Because we don't normally teach on these things, thus tonight. All right, and number four, they're shown to be pastors. Uh, what in the world? Okay, how, what does that look like? In 2 John, the Apostle John writes to a... Uh, remember, this is the normal function of a... a, a uh, epistle. It, we, they didn't have books. They didn't have, you know, shit like dear so-and-so. And you look at the end, oh yeah, that's from Sister Savannah. You can flip to the back of it. For, with the scroll, they would have to roll it all the way out to the end, see who it's from, then roll it all the way back up. So the salutation uh, of who it's from and who it's to is right there in the beginning of the epistle. If that's not what Second John is doing, what you have to describe is why that's different than the normative greeting structure of, of epistles in the world. Okay, now I know that's pretty strong. So uh, the, it's common greetings. And so Paul, John writes in 3 John 1, 1, the elder, which is his favorite term for himself, the elder, unto the well-beloved Gaius. Okay, so it's written his third epistle to Gaius, who's, whom he says, I love in the truth. Now in 2 John, it says the elder to the elect lady and her children. Now all you have to do is read the Gospel of John and the epistles of John, and you will figure out very quickly John's favorite word for saints is what? Children. So he's writing about the church and what people do to try to <laughs> do hermeneutical gymnastics and contortions to get around that is they will say, well, that's written to the church at large. It's a metaphor for the spiritual church at large. Now, the problem with that is the last epistle says your, your fellow sister and her children salute you. How many churches are there? One. So again, unless you're talking about local congregations, uh, it has to be, there's only one church. So again, uh, that shows that there are lady uh, pastors. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, as well as Acts chapter 12, verse 12, shows that the house churches uh, where they were meeting was in the houses of Chloe and also the house of Mark's mother. And again, that's to uh, the straightforward interpretation of that uh, is that that's two lady pastors. Number five, you have women prophets. All right, so the daughters of Phillips in Acts 21 verses 8 and 9, the, the daughters of Phillips are prophesying, and that means they're not keeping silent in the presence of men. Now, you're going to see what that means when we get to some people's interpretation of 1 Timothy chapter 2, right? So they are not keeping silent. They're prophesying uh, in the presence of men. Number six, um, oh, let's just make an addendum, brother. Uh, uh, this, is, this is technically, they're on pastoral teams. So we'll just call that uh, pastoral teams. Thank you, sir. Romans chapter 16, when you look at, look at it, at least 25% of the names mentioned there are female. So in the house churches at Rome, people on the pastoral teams, 25% of that leadership was female. 
It's a women's liberation movement. <laughs> and, then, and then some other, uh, uh, Lydia was the pastor of the church in her home, as well as Nymphia, Chloe, Iodia, Syntyche, all at the churches at Philippi. They ran churches in their home. I'll give you number seven. They're teachers. That's where you have Priscilla, who's called a teacher, and Paul calls her a fellow worker in Christ. So if you're a fellow worker with Paul, that's pretty important. By the way, he says that same term to all sorts of other giants of the faith that help spread the gospel all over the Christian world. Right? Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 26, Priscilla is seen as teaching and exhorting a man. I know. <laughs> Radical. Uh, Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 26. Mm -hmm. All right, and, and then uh, number eight, Brother Gibbs, uh, 2 Timothy 4 19. Priscilla is mentioned first in, in Paul's address to both her and her husband. Now, it would be really weird if she had no role in ministry. Why is he addressing her first? On top of that, there's a, a, a fascinating little thing that you can see through the book of Acts where you have, um, um, oh, I, I, you, well, I mean, you can just follow it through the book of Acts yourself where you see Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And then because of the influence of Paul's ministry, all of a sudden it switches to Paul and Barnabas. So when, when you see this address to this couple in Scripture, it says Priscilla, her first, and Aquila, her husband. And kind of like Brother Mooney said about his mom and fa mother and father, his mom was really the preacher of the family. <laughs> okay, that's all right. You great preachers too, don't you? <laughs> there are people you'd rather hear. And, and, and so that goes again to no notoriety. And nine, oh, no, we've already said that. Uh, I'm sorry. A nine would be Philippians 4. Two, and th uh, two through three, verses two through three, show uh, two women evangelists, Iodia and Syntyche. Right, so now what, what does all of this show, all of this data? Right, and here's how many of you want to be biblical. So the clear example of Scripture shows that there are women prophets, women apostles, women teachers, women evangelists, and women pastors. Imagine that. The five-fold ministry. All right, now I know, right? So now, now with that said, that's the clear biblical kind of paradigm, right? So what do you do with these other portions of Scripture, which we're going to look at tonight and the rest of our time together? Uh, what do we do with the plain reading of other passages of Scripture? Because there are, there are issues. If you're going to support women in the five-fold ministry, you have to be able to deal with, uh, Sister Aubrey, all the Bible, right? Not just some of the Bible. you got to say, if I'm going to take a biblical position, uh, do we have a divided Bible? I hope not, because if we do, might as well go have a party, because that's not the word from God. All right, and then thirdly, to ask it more pointedly, is Scripture in conflict with itself? And if it is, you just lost revelation. All right, so let's give up, put a little line there, Brother Gibbs, and we'll write on the other side uh, the, the, the big passages that we need to look at. All right, the first one is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. 
All right, I'm going to read it to you. It says, but I suffer not a woman to teach. Sister Dibble, what are you doing teaching at IBC? Paul says, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Everybody say the word of the Lord. <laughs> it's got to be a translation issue or something. First uh, Timothy 2, 12. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 and 35. Thank you, sir. 34 and 35. It says, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. You're like, I don't know what's going on in the church I was raised in. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in church. Can I get an amen, Brother Justin? Everybody say the word of the Lord. Okay, what do we do with that? I'll give you, I'll give you one more. 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 2. This is, a, sorry, 1 Timothy 3. Thank you, Brother Gibbs. One and two. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, I wish we had time to deal with it today, but we don't. If you look at the terms presbyteros, episcopos, and uh, poema, uh, it, it, is the, uh, it is the three kind of ways you speak of a pastor. Pastors, like, only used once in the entire Bible because we use that term. When we can, because it's biblical. But it's probably more appropriate to call your pastor elder. Just so you know. Paul said, called Timothy elder. I'm going to start calling all your elder just because it makes me feel good about my age. <laughs> this is a true saying. If a man offer or desi a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop must be blameless. Everybody say amen. amen. The husband of one wife. Vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Now, how in the world can a woman be a bishop if she's going to be the husband of one wife? Everybody say the word of the Lord. All right, thank you, Brother Gibbs. I think that does for us. All right, so let's look at these case studies because, again, we see the clear examples of the New Testament, right? So how do we deal with these scriptures? So in 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10, let's look at this one first. Because uh, we're, we're going to set up verse 12, but if you yank this passage out of its context, you can make it say no to women ministry. But when you put it in the flow of the passage, you're going to see what the apostles is uh, saying. So this is what, uh, I'm going to give you a little adage for hermeneutics, how to read and interpret the Bible correctly. A, con a, a, a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. Thank you, Brother Brown. All right, good. All right, so let's look at verse uh, uh, 9. In like manner also. Now, again, Paul's been talking about the qualifications for leaders, for deacons. And he says, in like manner also. You ready? If a woman wants to be a deacon, that's the flow of the passage. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in what? Modest apparel. What's the first issue with the women that he's going to tell not to preach or teach? They're not wearing modest apparel. 
with shamefacedness. Now, the Greek word, now all of y'all have had holiness. You know the Greek word for uh, modest apparel is katastole kosmu, and stole is a loose flowing garment. It's the same thing in Deuteronomy 22.5, with shamefacedness. The Greek word is eidos. It means with a sense of shame, bashfulness, reverence, and regard for others. It comes from the root word eido, which signifies turning the eyes, the mind, and the attention to anything. It means a woman is responsible in the way that she dressed so that she doesn't turn the eyes when she gets up to minister. Okay, and, and, and sobriety, not with broided hair. Who asked me this wonderful question about broided hair? Oh, we don't have time to deal with it. We'll deal with it in holiness. It's about weaving jewelry in your hair. It's not braided hair. You got braids today. You're okay. All right, but it's not braided hair. It's like weaving jewelry up in your hair. I wish we had time to deal with that today, but we don't. Uh, or gold or pearls or costly array. Oh, imagine that. Throw away your Versace. Uh, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. That's just extra. All right, now what's Paul dealing with in 1 Timothy chapter 2? Remember, Titus is dealing with, uh, or Timothy rather, is dealing with women that have come out of idol worship. And, and those Gentile pagan religions had prostitutes in and around their temples all the time. As a matter of fact, part of worship would be going in and sleeping with some of these uh, high priestesses or priestesses of these fertility cults. So when they come out of that pagan worship, there was an appeal that they've been raised with uh, that, that they appease the gods or they excite the gods based on their sexual activity. And if you can get the gods excited, that's going to spill into creation. It's going to bless you financially. It'll bless your crops, all those types of weird things. And so when you have people coming out of that background, they dress to arouse the gods. Paul had to tell Timothy, you need to teach him. I love you. I want you to learn in silence. Why? So then you can step forward in the place and begin to teach the right way. That's why he goes on to say, well, I'll just go ahead. Let me quote Donald Gunthry because this is not an apostolic author on the pastoral epistles. He says, Paul was shrewd enough to know that a woman's dress is a mirror of her mind. And there's something in her mind, and I'll go further than mine. It's a, it's a mirror to her heart and her spirit. And there's some things, Brother Connor, you don't want that spirit being communicated into your church. You want it to be out of a commitment to God, a commitment to holiness, a commitment to truth. And then that spirit that she communicates her ministry out of won't promote the same. You, you ready? What you put behind there will promote the same spirit out there. And that's, that's the reality of what Paul's addressing. So then that's when you get to 1 Timothy 2.11. It's about these women with modesty issues. Let the woman learn in silence. First of all, learn. She's got to learn in silence for a time, and then she can speak. Okay? And he says, with all subjection. Now, we've already seen that in the New Testament, women uh, uh, taught men all over the place. The issue with these specific women is they're out of submission. They're out of their place. They're usurping an authority that's not theirs. They're not qualified to operate in a position of authority and power because they're not in alignment with God. Right? Mm, I'll try to behave. Right? So, so here's what you have to say to women who want to be in ministry. It's okay to want to be in any part of the five-fold ministry as long as you're willing to be modest because you don't want pretenders without power. 
because it'll be like the sons of Sceva who in the book of Acts said, uh, we adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out of. And the demon-possessed people grabbed the hold of the sons of Sceva, beat them down, ripped their clothes off them, and sent them out bruised and naked and ashamed. Why? Because they had no power. They were pretenders because they weren't in alignment. A great little sermon Joy Haney preached a long time ago. It's a great sermon called, Does Hell Know Your Name? And, if, and you ready? The hell doesn't fear uh, your preaching ability, your singing ability, or your evangelistic ability. He doesn't fear any of that. He fears your obedience. Wow. Because your obedience brings alignment, and that alignment is what keeps you powerful. It keeps you connected to the flow of God's spirit, and that anointing doesn't flow sideways to come out and find somebody rebellious. All right, so uh, we'll, we'll maybe talk about that a little later. All right, then, and then in 1 Timothy 2.12, that's when you get to the passage. He says, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, what does that mean? That Paul forgot all of these other practices in the New Testament? No, he's dealing with the same women. Don't pull that out of its context. Let me give you, uh, because, you know, some people only respect non-apostolic authors. So here we go. This is by Towner. Uh, it's his commentary on First and Second Timothy on page 77. He says, Paul did not employ his usual term for the normal exercise of authority, exousia. That's the Greek word for exercising authority lawfully. Uh, you ready? He says, he chose an unusual word, often teo. It's only used one time in the entire New Testament. Right? And he said that could carry... And that's the key. It can carry this connotation to usurp or misappropriate authority or to domineer. That's why when you read the ESV, I picked on it once a day. Why not pick on it tonight too? Uh, when the ESV translates that exercise authority, it's wrong. It bends the Greek to the point of breaking. Why? Because reformed people don't like women in ministry. Now, Paul did and the rest of the New Testament does. Right, so when you look at that word, you have to say, that's not exousia, it's authenteo. All right, let me give you another one, because this is the Greek-English lexicon um, on authenteo, page 84. The word translated exercise authority, and it's in ASB, nope. It's have authority, the NIV, nope. Or usurp authority, the authorized version, is authenteo. It means to act on one's own authority or to act in an autocratic manner. That's why it's usurp. Usurp means to take it unlawfully. When she's up there and she's not holy, she's usurping a position of authority she has no right to because she's in rebellion against God. Yeah. All right, so who does Paul have a problem with? Women with authority issues. All right, I'll give you one more. Uh, the, uh, this is uh, the syntactical construction. Here's some Greek for those of you. How many of you are taking Greek right now? God help you all. I mean, Lord help you, Jesus. <laughs> all right, it's uktedaskein ude althente to to teach or usurp authority. And look at what this uh, look at what this wonderful admission is uh, in the Greek English lexicon. It requires both didaskin teach and authenteo usurp authority to have either both of them got to be positive or both of them got to be negative. And clearly Paul's talking about things he has problem with in this text. And both Titus 1, 10 and 11 and Revelation 2, 20 show didaskin teach can be negative in connotation when it's not uh, connected with a uh, people of truth. 
Right? So who does Paul have a problem with here in 2.12? Immodest women trying to exercise authority unlawfully. All right, case number two, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it's not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Now, here's the first thing you have to say. You can't find anywhere in the Old Testament. Go look at it. I have. Go look at it. You will never find a prescription in the Old Testament against women speaking in the tabernacle or temple ever. What you will find all over the Old Testament are people that are disqualified, women that are being disqualified for speaking for God because they're not in alignment with God. Right? So so what does that mean? Uh, Let me give you the interpretation affirmed uh, by apostolic doctrine by the Apostle Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, he says, Whose adorning let it not be with the outward adorning of the plating of the hair, of the wearing of gold and the putting on of apparel, but let it be of the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. Now notice what the Apostle Peter says. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husband. They ain't trying to catch somebody else's eye. Even as Sarah obeyed Adam, calling him Lord. And my wife calls me Lord all the time. She calls me good, too, mostly together, good Lord, you know. But he says, even as Sarah obeyed, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well. You're the daughters of Sarah. You're the daughters of promise, as long as you do well. How do I do well? I dress holy, just like holy women of old. So like 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2, the topics that the apostle is addressing is order and submission in prayer and prophesying in the church. All right, so why would Paul spend so much time, uh, uh, almost 16 verses, talking about when you ladies stand up to pray and prophesy in the church, your hair has to be right? Why would he spend that much time if he was just going to forget what he said and command you all to be silent in the church in verse 14 or chapter 14? Did I miss something? All right, so, so again, what does that mean? It means, now what is the problem in 1 Corinthians 14? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's women who are refusing to be under subjection to the direction of God with their hair. And again, it's a pretender without power. It's someone usurping a position of authority that's not under submission to God. But if her dress is right and her hair is right, guess what? She's okay to stand up and prophesy and pray in the church service. And again, those women need to learn in silence. And Paul was so fed up with the people, the women that he was fighting a little bit at Corinth, at the church of Corinth. And he says, by the way, if they have any more questions, they can ask their husband at home. I'm done talking about this. He says, if any man uh, be contentious, the Greek word is a fight lover. If anyone loves to fight over this issue, I'm done talking with him. He says, uh, this is, there's no other practice, Brother Herbs, in all the churches of God but this. So it was a universal apostolic practice that they were rebelling against, but they still wanted to get up in the pulpit. Be careful what you put in the pulpit. Okay? All right, uh, case study number three, and we're almost done. Look at that. The Lord is good. How many minutes do we have? 
Eight minutes, I can do it. All right, so case study number three, 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 2. Uh, what, what is going on here? How can a woman, because we see clear examples of women as pastors, how can they be the husband of one wife? All right, so it's like this. It's like somebody preaching about preachers, and I say, uh, young man, if you're going to be, you do this, or preacher, you better do this, and he better do that. Does that mean I don't believe in women preachers? No, it means if you're speaking of a singular with a collective whole in mind, you just use usually the masculine. I'll do respect the feminist. I know 10,000 Frenchmen just threw their purses down. They're so mad at me. <laughs> if you're from France, I'm sorry. Uh, it was a joke. All right, so what does that mean? Now, what you have to do is you have to say, let's keep the consistency of the interpretation of this text. So if they have to be the husband of one wife, first of all, if a bishop has to be male, and it can't be like a, it can't mean something like this. It just means they have to have fidelity in marriage. Then you have to start asking harder questions. Like this, okay, if a bishop has to be the husband of one wife, does that mean they have to be married? Now, if you're going to interpret that in a rigid way, it doesn't mean that if they, if they have a wife, uh, they can only have one. <laughs> no, no, he has to be the husband of one wife. That, now, if you're going to interpret that, or not interpret, trans, uh, yeah, interpret it, not translate it. We translate literally, Brother Marcus, we interpret in the pulpit. What does it mean? Does it mean that they have to be male? Well, then it means it has to be a married male. Ruling his own house well, having his children in subjection. Now he has to have children, not child, children. Okay, and he has to be the husband of one wife. Does that mean if his wife dies, he can't ever be married again? Let's just say he's a pastor. Something tragically happens, like a wonderful pastor. Uh, I got to know while I was in Mississippi, Brother Robbins, and his wife passed, uh, passed away. Is he no longer qualified to be the bishop, the pastor of that church? I don't know anybody that tries to apply this this way, this rigidly, except for the male thing. The only one I know, uh, except, I was going to say one exception, Wayne Grudeman, because he's crazy. <laughs> And he says, he says all of those things. It has to be a husband, has to be the husband of one wife. They can't be remarried. They can't be widowed. Uh, and they have to have children, multiple children. And he says, that looks like to me, it's God saying, then they're qualified to manage the house of God because they know all those dynamics. I just have a problem with Mr. Grudeman. I would just say this. Okay, Paul started the church at Corinth. He was the pastor, Right? And Apollos followed, and then other leadership. And look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9. I say, therefore, unto you, the unmarried and the widows, because he's writing to the Corinthian church he, he started in pastors. I'm saying this to the unmarried and the widows. It is good for them to abide even as I. Paul was single. I have a question for you. Could Paul pastor your church? <laughs> Not Wayne Grudeman's. <laughs> And remember, he was a, a, a member of the Sanhedrin. It required people to be married. In Acts 26.10, we see him before his conversion casting his vote against Christians. So he was a voting member of the Sanhedrin, Brother Herbs. He had to be married then. So what happened to his wife? I don't know. She either died or she dumped him when he became a Christian. That's the only two options, and that's what he talks about in Corinthians. And so you have to say, if Paul couldn't pastor your church, I think you've got a problem. 
That means your interpretation of 1 Timothy chapter 3 is wrong. It means if you need to be, have fidelity in marriage, uh, you need to make sure that your children, you teach them the truth, because if you don't teach your kids the truth, if you have them, how can you teach anybody else? All right, so uh, here's the conclusion. Scripture is very clear in its paradigm of imagery. The problem texts don't become a problem when you start looking at them in their context. And so I think the scriptural issue is very, very, very clear. So let me just point out something very quickly. The history of the United Pentecostal Church is fascinating. I know we have some wonderful ALJC students in here. I think we have some WPF and some UAC of JC and uh, even some GIBs, good independent brethren. Uh, so, but if you're in the UPC or affiliated with the UPC Church, raise your hand real quick. All right, so the, and that's the, a lot of us. Okay, so let me just remind you of the history of the United Pentecostal Church. At, at the time of the merger, I think it's in 1946, if I remember the date right, Brother Herbst. At the time of the merger, over 50% of our missionaries were women. And over 30% of our pastors were women. I know, right? So what happened? Well, first of all, the witness of all of Scripture is clear. And we don't have a divided Bible. And we, we see the unified voice of Scripture. What happened in the 1960s as people started looking at these texts and, and looking at the, the horrific nature of feminism and said, we are not going to be that. Good apostolic women with the call to preach started calling themselves speakers. And they said, I am not going to be that feminist nonsense. Thank God. We don't need apostolic feminists. Uh, we, we have enough of that nonsense going on in the world that's trying to promote... Well, you get the point, Holly. I'll leave that alone for sociology. Holly. And, and then, and, I'll, and you ready? So uh, there were good men that said, we won't support that. And we made a reaction against the biblical paradigm. And we swung that pendulum too far the other way. And I'll tell you the reason why the median age of women being licensed is somewhere between 60 and 70 years old. Brother Herbst, it's because they feel like they have to be a rock star to face a licensing board in the United Pentecostal Church because they're afraid of hearing no because you're a woman. Because they put up with so many hurdles already. When a young man says he has a call of God on his life, what we say is we see those giftings, we see that intimation, we say, Brother Roberto, you have a, you have a, a wonderful touch of God on you. Have you thought about preaching? We wait for women to come talk to us. So I, that's a challenge just for you to kind of pick up. I'll close with this. The beautiful imagery of Galatians 3, 26 through 29. Apostle Paul says, For ye uh, all, uh, you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. How many of you believe in Jesus? So you're the children of God by faith in, in Christ Jesus. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. How many of you have put on Christ? You've been hid in him. Okay, then you ready? Look at what he says. There is neither Jew nor Greek. doesn't matter if you're a Jewish person, if you came from those that were near the Old Testament prophets, he says, or those that are far. He's made of the twain, one new man. doesn't matter if you were near and you were Jewish people, you needed to accept Jesus. Or if you're far, like us Gentiles, you've been united into the body now because you've accepted Jesus. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. It doesn't matter about your social status, what side of the tracks you come from. You ready? There is neither male nor female. 
for ye are all one in Christ. So if you're a preacher, you just happen to be male or female, but you're a preacher first. That's why I appreciate Sister Gallion and, um, you know, Sister Rodenbush. They were at a particular conference, and there was a what I would consider uh, an apostolic feminist, which is an oxymoron, because that's not apostolic. Uh, and, and they said that she was really berating IBC. Like, IBC has always been known as a supporter of women in ministry. Oh, behave, hallelujah. And so people, well, I'll just help me, Jesus, to stay on track. So what is it? So they said, well, look, at it. you don't even have a women's preacher class. I'm like, why would we have a women's preaching class? It's, it's sexist in and of itself. Why? Because you're all preachers. I remember in young adults one time, I, I said to the group under Brother Barkas, I said, they said, we're going to do a worldview series. It was so fun. I love the leadership of Brother and Sister Barkas. I still miss them. They were phenomenal. We've had great leadership. Uh, Brother Lopez and now the Brzezinski's, we're doing really well. But I, I'm enjoying myself, Brother Herbs. But I, I, I remember they said, we're going to do a worldview series. We're going to talk about this and this, and we're going to do biblical masculinity and biblical femininity. I said, I want to do biblical femininity. And they were like, ah, ha, 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 And I was like, and I want to do it because you all laughed. Because what you have to remember is biblical femininity is from the revelation of Scripture. Experience is not king. That's a postmodern fallen concept. Because they're going to look at some of you ladies who haven't tried to go live sexually and say, uh, all you got to say about sexuality is like the drug promo. Just say no. That's about all your experience. Experience is not king. I don't have to slam my car into a tree as a half-conscious drunk to know that drunk driving is stupid. You ready? And neither do you. If you want to teach on biblical masculinity or biblical femininity, the thing that we use is revelation. And so uh, you, you are a preacher who has a book, period. And then after that, you're male or female. All right, so uh, we can all just do the work of the Lord. Okay, now it's probably hard to ask questions after that, especially if you disagree, but I encourage you to do so. How many minutes do we have left? Thank you for listening to this episode with Reverend Bobby Kilman. We hope that you enjoyed that, and at this point in the talk, they went to student questions, and students asked Brother Kilman specifics. Now, we would love for you to have that engagement opportunity as well. If you want to ask Brother Kilman a question on this topic or another, just email us at podcast at indianabible.college, and we will get those questions to Brother Kilman and back on this podcast for you to hear. Last year at Preview Weekend, we had an amazing crowd. In fact, we had a waiting list and had to turn people away. So this year we are announcing a Fall Preview Weekend happening November 3rd. If you'd like to be a part of that weekend, stay tuned. Sign-up information will be coming soon. Good news to all the musicians and worship leaders who use multi-tracks. The Welcome Home album multi-tracks are now available on the IBC Store. That was formerly voicevision.com. It is now the IBC store, accessible at store.indianabible.college. There are multi-tracks, chord charts from Welcome Home, as well as previous albums. Check it all out at the IBC store.